This episode of the Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Nori. Feeling left out of carbon markets? Nori is a carbon removal marketplace that welcomes early adopters of regenerative farming. We work directly with farmers to enter their data and project their carbon credits, which the farmer owns and sets the price on. Nori is the marketplace, not the middleman, so farmers get paid directly once their credits are sold. We believe that carbon credits should be an asset the farmer controls, not the rights that they sell. To learn more on how you can enroll your farm, visit nori.com growers. And if you are a company looking to get involved with carbon markets, reach out to hello at nori.com. Nori, a carbon marketplace for early adopters. Visit nori.com growers. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, with a great episode for you today. We have a returning guest. He is a friend of the show, if you will. His name is Eric Bream, Bream Family Farms in the Fresno, California area. He's a citrus producer. He's been on here before and talked about uh, some of the challenges being in California agriculture. He's given different perspective. I like that because, as you know, as a listener and viewer, we try to always bring in the business side of agriculture, but also from different perspectives that maybe if you're a soybean producer or a cranberry grower, you know, you don't necessarily see, or maybe you're not even in production agriculture. You're one of our great agricultural professionals out there selling seed, feed, chemicals, tractors, whatever it should be. Main thing is we want to bring you the breadth and the depth. Bream Family Farms in the Fresno, California area, and Eric being like third or fourth generation, he's going to tell you here in a minute, what you're going to like about this is it's a guy that's forced out of uh, his comfort zone and kind of going in a more entrepreneurial direction out of necessity. You know, the old thing, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So we're going to hear about what he's doing with direct to consumer marketing now, selling citrus direct to consumer, in addition to what else he's always done. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Reminder that the business of agriculture is an audio. Get it where you get your audio uh, podcasts from, uh, you know, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or even Spotify. <laughs> Unlike like that old senile drugged out rocker slash folk musician. I'm not yanking my stuff from Spotify over Joe Rogan. You know what? If you put me and Joe Rogan in the same sentence, it's probably good for my podcast ratings anyhow. So by all means, find my podcast wherever you do, but also check it out on YouTube. We make every one of our podcasts an audio and also a video if you should need to see any visuals. Eric Bream, welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, it said frequent, frequent guests. I think this is like episode three or four that you've been on. Um, I'm checking out social media where I keep up with you. I try to keep up with Western agriculture of which you are a part of. Um, third generation out there. Fourth. I can't remember exactly what you are. Um, you were a citrus producing family. Uh, great grandpa started it. Kind of give us a little background. Yeah, um, my grandfather, I'm actually third generation, uh, and we're, we are celebrating our 70th year this year, uh, started in 1952. And uh, when Southern California was being paved over, my family was involved in the citrus industry down in Southern California, Glendora area, and uh, moved to this area in the early 50s and moved the family here and kept it up. You um, post stuff on social media, and I remember you uh, You take out your knife and you slice a, an orange and you say, this came off a tree that's older than me. It's even older than the Bream family farm. So you've got some citrus plantations up there that go back like 100 years, right? Yeah, the, um, 
ours is 110 years old. It was planted, planted in 1912. Um, that particular area where it's planted, that's not uncommon at all. There's, uh, there's several uh, other ones around there that are even older than that. It was uh, kind of the original area here where they were planting uh, citrus. So here's what we got going on. When you were on before, we talked about regulation. And so in 49 other states, we kind of marvel, or at least uh, the, the middle of the country, like where I'm from, we want agriculture. We like agriculture. South Dakota is sending their government paid representatives to California to try and get people like you to move to South Dakota. They like agriculture in the Plain States Midwest. Seem to hate the hell out of it in California. You sue the you sue the chemical companies. You deprive your people of water. Uh, you're completely outnumbered. You know, 40 million people in that state and, a, you know, about a, a handful of them are involved in agriculture. You're the biggest agricultural state in the union. Dear listener, if you didn't know that, California has more agricultural revenue than any other state. In fact, they're 50 percent more revenue out of agriculture in California than there is by to the number two state, which is Iowa. How do you do it? How do you make it? How do you work out there, man? What happens? It's definitely got its challenges. It's tough uh, and it gets tougher every year, which is uh, and is going to continue that path. I don't see it going any different uh, unless something major, a major shift in uh, in politics and in public sentiment uh, changes it. And I just don't see that happening here. Um, you know, and it, it's getting to the point where it, the regulation that we're faced with, the additional costs that we were continually faced with, takes an operation like ours and it puts it in uh, kind of a strange position. Um, and you, you start going over your choices and you say, okay, what are my choices? One of them is you can sell and just exit the industry, which is pretty tempting based on land prices right now. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. Yeah. For me personally, that's not an option that I want to consider unless I absolutely have to. When I took over the ranch, it's, uh, you know, I made a commitment to myself and the family that, you know, my purpose and in, in, in doing it would be to get it to the next generation. Um and so that, you know, that's really not an option for, for me. Um, or your second option would be to just kind of put your head in the sand and just keep moving forward. And until, until you can't anymore. And I know there's a lot of, Till yeah, the wheels, a- till the wheels, the wheels fall off. You know, I'm from that Midwestern dairy, and I swear to God, we were we watched this. I, it's not happening like it did, but you know that whole 70s, 80s, 90s, where you're like. These people that I've known and I, I see them, I understand the business. You're still milking cows like you've always done, and you're not capitalized enough to 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 quit. But you're also not capitalized enough to expand. It's just you just keep going, and then eventually the wheels literally fall. You've got you're you're living off a of depreciation. You're using you know assets that are uh, you know fully depreciated, 20, 30, 40 year old uh, equipment, etc. And and it's like God, this is this how how you want it to end? And of course, that's what you're saying. You're like, I don't want to do that. You said something before we started recording, and I, I think we need to give a little background on this. What's the citrus operation look like at Bream Family Farms? Because, you know, the person that's farming 5,000 acres of wheat in uh, Kansas, this is all kind of new to them. You've got how many acres of trees and uh, just a little background on that. Okay, well, I'm involved in the production in one way or another of about 400 acres of citrus. Uh, we own about half of that, and then I custom farm for other families. Um and from a business standpoint, we 
we're not the typical farm that you might see in the Midwest. We, uh, we are completely debt-free and we cash flow all of our expenses, all of our farming expenses, all of our business expenses. Uh, we're not using an operating loan and, or borrowing money from, from anywhere to, to make it happen from year to year. Yeah. You said that right before I hit the record button. And then you said you are in, and you're not being in any way arrogant. This is business. After all, you don't use operating money and, and you, you choose to be debt free. It gives you a bit more latitude and probably sleep better at night. But even with that, you said you read this study by Cal Poly, which a lot of folks don't realize is an ag school, Cal Polytechnic. And it said, you know, give you some numbers about cost of regulation. There's a water issue in California and you, even as, as well positioned as you are, meaning a lot of farming operations aren't debt-free that they are more, um, you know, reliant on borrowed capital, et cetera. You said, even then you were still concerned, like, man, even though we don't have any debt and we cash flow, I'm not sure that I'm going to still be able to be here five years from now. Tell me about that. Well, it has a lot to do with, um, you know, uh, those all those regulations that have come our way. That particular study showed an average uh, in the Central Valley of an increase over a six year span of 265 um, percent. And I don't remember the number offhand, but citrus was the outlier on the high side. Um, and by the way, that, that, that percentage of going up for the listener that means the cost of complying with government regulation increased in a six-year time span by 265%. Yeah, and it's gone up since then. That, that, the last of that data was 2018, so we're four years ahead. And it, I guarantee you, it, it hasn't been quantified by a study, but I can just tell you because I write the checks, um, <laughs> that, it's, that it's gone up. And it's going to continue to go up, particularly as it relates to water. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole about how California water works specifically in my area. Um, but our costs are probably going to increase oof, on water within the next two to five years are probably going to increase by at least that amount percentage wise, another 250% maybe. Oh my. Uh, and, and when you kind of put all that together, um, I just, I, I can't see how the people that we rely on to process our products can keep up with the pricing just on the way things are based, just the way that system works uh, and who the players are in a concentrated retail market mm -hmm. um, that I, I'm not sure that, it, that that's going to keep up. So as I kind of referred to earlier, I've got a few choices here um, and you know, I, I think for us, if I started, uh, you know, having to borrow money to do our operation on a day to day basis and we start going backwards, we, it, I would just be eating away at all the equity and the hard work that the previous generations of my family went through. So yeah. so I decided that I didn't like that either. And I decided that, uh, you know, one of the things that we can try is to just pivot and and see if. What, what consumers tend to say, if, if we offer that to them, if they, could, if they will actually purchase it. Yeah, so what you're talking about is, you know, the big picture here is you are faced with tremendous amount of cost and you thought, you know, uh, for me, 
to do to stay in this business, normally your product would go where before we get to the direct to market stuff? Where would your stuff go just as is? Well, we've we've only taken five percent of our acreage out for this program. Ninety-five um, percent okay. of, of your acres of trees go to a broker, they, a, a jobber, a wholesaler. To- they go to a co-op. They go to Sunkist um, via one of their packing houses, um, but it's marketed through through the Sunkist system, and um, that that was the best option for us. We haven't always been in the Sunkist system, um, but that that became the best option for us moving forward. I think. Okay, so that means you harvest, and it's almost all oranges. You have a few acres or something else. Well, we grow eight different varieties across those. Um, but we're heavily invested in orange, naval oranges. Yes. Okay. Naval, naval and Valencia oranges. Yeah. Okay. And so these oranges go to Sunkiss system, et cetera. And you said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go direct to consumer. So you'd made this decision say in the last 12 months, and now here you are off and running. Uh, the idea was to boost margins and to give yourself a little income diversification. I assume those are the two things, higher margins and income diversification. Yeah, it's really about the higher margins because, uh, you know, when I've talked to people in the industry about it, um, they're like, why are you doing this? <laughs> and I said, well, to subsidize my water costs. Mm-hmm. That's, right. uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I, it, there's a lot of altruistic type things that, that come through this, you know, but from a business standpoint, it, I'm hoping that it can help solve some of these problems or at least soften the blow a little bit. So you had this idea, I'm going to go direct to consumer. It's happening more now in agriculture than it probably ever, I mean, in modern agriculture. I mean, obviously, there's a time back in the day that you know, farmers markets and, uh, you know, my mother was, would be 90, I think, one or two years old now if she were still alive. Um, and she was talking about going to market in Fort Wayne, Indiana, back in the 1930s and 40s. That's what they did. They'd clean chickens uh, and then take them in and sell them to the city folk. Then that whole thing went away. And then the internet, the foodie movement, the affluence of America, frankly, opened up these channels where it's like, you know what? I don't have to just go and get what they have at Walmart or at Kroger, which are still fine options. But now there's the whole thing of I want to buy my stuff from Farmer Joe uh, and his carrots or Rancher Rick and his uh, and his grass fed beef out in Montana. It's really what we're talking about here. I didn't know if anybody was doing it with citrus. So kind of talk about the decision that you made and what happens. Yeah. I'm not the only one that's doing something similar. I think I've taken it uh, to a different place than anything that I've seen thus far. Mm -hmm. Um, What I had to do was I had to take a look and say, and just ask myself some simple questions. And the, and the, the biggest question is, is there anything about our operation that's different that, that we can leverage and provide a different value to a potential customer over what the conventional system supplies them. And, um, you know, because my deal was in thinking about that was if I can't find that, we probably ought to just go ahead and exit now. Um, and, you know, be, rather than try and grind this thing out over the long term and potentially put ourselves at a much higher risk category as far as our equity goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, well, you know, every every year I cut open an orange in this hundred year old block of citrus trees and people on the Internet seem to uh, kind of 
relate to that, right? Mm-hmm. People, people, it catches their interest, I guess. And realistically, those, those older trees in that kind of climate, um, it, it really is kind of a, a unique piece of fruit. Uh, it's a little different, uh, very sweet, tasty, uh, different, definitely different than what you're going to get in your grocery store. Okay. So that was step one. Step two was really taking a look at the conventional system and saying, okay, how, how can I poke some holes in how this works and see if we can provide value? So in the navel orange market that comes out of California, the top 30 to man, sometimes up to 50% gets exported out of the country. And so from a quality standpoint, a lot of what stays here in the country isn't necessarily the highest quality. That's an interesting thing. So why, what well, we grow these really good oranges. And so the best California oranges, navels, that's the, that's the eating versus the juicing, I'm guessing. Right. Right. Yeah. Eating versus juicing. So the, the variety that mostly gets made into juice is what variety? Uh, those are Valencia's. Valencia's. Okay. Yeah. In California, we don't even, we don't even grow them for juice. I grow Valencia's, but they're for fresh consumption because there's no way with my cost structure that, that if we juice those that I could make any money. Uh, okay. Cause ju- juice oranges are uh, lower priced. Oh, it's you, you lose. That's a, that's a losing proposition. If something goes to juice. Okay. So how do the Brazilians make juice for oranges for juice? They just do it cheaper. Well, yeah, their cost is way different than mine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, 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 in, what, environmental what? What the hell are you talking about, senor? Okay. I guess that wouldn't be senor. They speak Portuguese. Okay. Naval oranges from California, the top third or one half gets shipped, um, which is interesting. So you're saying the stuff that we're getting that's California navels might not be the best. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's an unfair statement. Okay. And so you're saying, I'm going to do this thing where I take what are the best, which have a better taste. You are, you are, p- propositioning this as a quality value differentiator. Yes. Okay. And that's based on taste. And then you said, I'm going to sell these direct to consumer because I think it's a better product than they've had. And then you made a point consumers. You wanted to see if they were going to put their money where their mouth is. You know, people say a lot of things. I wrote about that in my, in my business book back here uh, uh, over my shoulder. Um, You know, consumers say they want lots of things. They will tell you, you know, remember everybody, you know, is trying to lose weight or attempting to make more money or going to start a new job or whatever the, and it's mostly bullshit. So anyway, you wondered if these consumers would actually put their money where their mouth is and buy Bream Family Farm Naval Orges and pay a premium to do so. Right. Okay. And? Well, so, um, you know, with all of my uh, experience, I guess, of interactions on uh, places like My Job Depends on Ag and listening to what, what consumers seem to say that they want, Um, I said, okay, well, how do we, how do we build that into this system? Mm -hmm. And because every, you know, they say, well, I want to know who's producing my food is one thing, right? Well, here's, here's your opportunity to learn about me, my family, what we're doing, how long we've been here, all of that stuff, you know, and, and and try and establish some trust there. So that's step one. Um, Step two in this process for me was uh, we get a lot of, um, Oh, I don't even know what the right word is for it. Um, backlash, I guess, from people about farm workers oh, and the yeah, amount of right, money right. that they're paid. 
Well, you've got 200 acres owned. You oversee 400 acres total of citrus production. Those orange trees are what, on 20-foot grids or something like this? Yeah, yeah. All right, so there's a whole boatload of trees. You can probably run that math, uh, but, uh, you know, how, how many trees per acre that is? How many trees is that? About uh, uh, On those old plantings, it's about 90. Okay, so 90, 90 trees per acre, and then all citrus is picked by hand still. It's not like the nuts where we go up and shake the shit out of the tree. This is actually done by hand, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you do have migrant labor that you use or H2As or whatever it is to get your harvesting done, correct? Yeah, in the in the conventional system, yeah, it's you've got a combination of those two things. Um, what I'm doing is just working with one specific contractor, the guy that I use for everything. Um, and we made an agreement in this that when they're working on this project, that they'll get paid at least double the minimum wage. Okay. So that's a good thing. So you said, I want to address the fact that I'm not some corporate entity. I'm a family agricultural operator here in California, third generation. And then I want to also let you know about this idea that we're not out here. Uh, this is not sweatshop labor. We're treating our people right. So those are the two things you address through your marketing. Uh, and then there's a third thing as well. Um, so obviously, uh, not every piece of fruit that's hanging on those trees is going to make the grade where I'm comfortable shipping it to someone. So the question comes up of what do we do with the rest? Um, not necessarily anything wrong with it. Um, it may have a small insect scar on it. It may not be the right size, but it, you know, from a standpoint of quality, it's pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I kind of rattled it around in my head. I could have said, well, we'll just sell it and try and recoup some money there. Instead, what I did was I said, well, let's look at this issue that we have in California that seems to be continually getting worse, and that issue is homelessness. And so we committed to donating half of the crop, at least half of the crop, to a local homeless shelter that, uh, that helps provide services for these folks. Yeah. And it's actually kind of cool because I've been dropping uh, pallets of fruit off at this place the last few weeks. And, and now when I pull up the people that work there and some of the, some of the people that they're serving, you know, they're, they start yelling, they're like, Hey, it's the orange guy, you know, and they, they all run out and they, I mean, they're just so happy. That's a good story. Uh, you, um, you wanted to make that a part of what you do. So the idea is the person that now is your direct from farm to consumer customer, Eric, you want to make them have buy-in and we're going to get to that. Uh, I want to hear your response to that in a second, but before we get there, I want to remind our listeners that uh, if you are watching this, you see that I'm wearing an extreme ag shirt. And if you are a farmer or you want to see what's happening on large scale, business minded, forward looking row crop type farmers, I want you to check out my work at extreme ag, go to extremeag.farm. There's no E on the front of it, just extremeag.farm. Five guys doing really cool stuff, trialing new products, and I'm producing the content for them so that uh, we can make this educational, informative, and insightful for everybody. So go to extremeag.farm and check out the good work we're doing there. A question for farmers and agricultural landowners. Have you ever lost yield to unexpected pest or disease? 
Well, of course you have, because every season you're forced to guess about some of the most important management decisions. But now you don't have to guess. Pattern Ag offers the most advanced soil analysis available today. In addition to a comprehensive nutrient analysis, like any soil sample survey is going to do for you, Pattern can predict next season's risk from the most damaging of pests and diseases, including corn rootworm, soybean cyst nematode, sudden death syndrome, and more. So for the first time ever, a single soil analysis can help you optimize your crop protection and fertility spend at a subfield, field, and operational level. Time to refine your management decisions. Time to optimize your inputs and maximize your yield. Simply go to www.pattern.ag and get started today. All right. So you're working on getting the buy-in. You essentially are selling a feeling as well as a quality fruit. Tell me about that. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's been one of the things from a, from an entrepreneurial type standpoint, you know, that I've had to wrap my head around. Um, you know, I, I think let me kind of backtrack here. This idea came to me a few years ago. Mm-hmm. When when I was at uh, what we call the Farm Show, which is the World Ag Expo out here in Tulare, and um, I got tasked by the local uh, director of the Farm Bureau to bring a group of uh, dairy folks out to our ranch. And uh, that particular trade show happens in the middle of February, which is peak season really for uh, what we grow. Mm-hmm. And so I brought these people out that there was some folks from Kansas, Wisconsin. I'm not sure where all they were from. And so we're running around and I just pull my knife out and I just start cutting open different kinds of fruit for them. And they, you know, and the look on their face, their reaction uh, kind of told me everything I needed to know because without fail, every single one of them said, how come what I get in the grocery store doesn't taste this way? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so you kind of explain how that system works, why, you know, there's, there's time lags. There's a, there's a lot of moving pieces to that, which is super important to feed 330 million people every day that these systems exist. I'm not trying to put them down. Yeah. Right? And like I said, we, st- we're still shipping 95% of our products through that, yeah. but I just try to come up with and say, okay, how do I take that experience that these folks had outside of California? Because in California, everybody in Southern California has a backyard citrus tree and there's yeah. a, there's a farmer's market every three blocks. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't see Southern California or, or much of California actually being, uh, you know, our potential market. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I said, well, how do we get that experience? Cause I can't drag everybody out here to the ranch and cut open fruit for them. And how do, but how do we get that as close to somebody's front door as we can? So what, what we do is every Saturday we go out and pick fruit, pack it, we process it, pack it that same day. It goes out and we we're hitting about 80% that are delivered in less than 48 hours from when, uh, when that thing got packed. Yeah. So it's so, same day, same day. It's getting picked and packed fresh off the tree. And within 48 hours, you've got, you've got this premium citrus from California on your doorstep in Iowa or wherever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a, a hell of a thing that you came up with. And then the question was, um, you, you know, the motivation was higher margins and income diversification. And then you wanted to see if people were actually putting their money where their mouth is because you're also charging quite a premium. Yeah. Um, you set your prices and how'd you do that by the way? Well, I mean, I, I just backed into, you know, where our costs were 
I looked at, I looked at some of the other products that were, that were similar out in the market and we landed about in the, in, in the center of, of all of that. Um, you know, Harry and David basically being the top end of that as far as cost. And then you've got other folks that are doing, uh, you know, other similar things on, you know, that are 10 bucks, maybe even 15 bucks cheaper than what we're doing. Yep. All right. So uh, you started doing it. You ordered a bunch of boxes. You said it's going to be the premium stuff. You've got sorters. Is this what happens? I mean, normally your stuff, if it goes to commercial uh, distribution, you've got migrants that pick it and then it comes into, does it normally come into a facility at Bream Farms and then get sorted there? Or is it just all go on a truck normally? Normally in the conventional system, the way, the way it works is uh, our packer, uh, coordinates all of that, the labor, um, the trucking, all of that. It, and it just goes straight from the field out to the processing facility. So I had to buy a small packing packing line mm-hmm. um, that washes and, and dries and cleans and does all of that for, for the fruit because this is something completely new. Yeah. So you had to buy some new equipment and then find a place to stick all that new equipment. And then you got to get some employees to do this handling and touching. And the thing is, it's not like we're going to do this for a a week and see how it works because once you're selling it, it's got to be available every week, every day of the week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we kind of, you know, we're still farming, (laughs) so we still got stuff to do. So basically uh, if you look on our website, um, we're just committed to shipping at this point, one day a week. So every Saturday, we're, we're taking the orders for that week and shipping them out every Saturday. Okay. Um, question for you then. What's it been like? You've been at it for what? Eight weeks now? Uh, this is actually our fourth week. We we're right at a month now from our first shipments. All right. Um, I've learned a lot. I can tell you that. Um, and it's, we're getting better at it. The, the, the very first week was just a, it was a mess. Uh, <laughs> no question about it. Um, and now that everybody kind of knows what their role is and, and we've got a better feel for, you know, things like how many orders are here, how much fruit do we need? And, and that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's going, it's going fairly well. Um, so, you know, I, I've learned, like I said, I've just learned a ton about so many different things that were kind of out of my wheelhouse before. Well, like what? First off, you never were a direct consumer person. Also, most farm people are really good at producing crops. They're not necessarily customer service minded. Uh, So uh, tell me, what was the biggest challenge? Marketing and promotion is uh, some people's wheelhouse. Some people not generally farmers are not as great at that. So what thing was the big curve for you? Well, it's definitely been the marketing side of things, um, but I actually hired a company to do it for me, understanding where my shortcomings are with respect to that. Um, and really, actually, our biggest challenge thus far has been uh, because we're doing it all uh, all digital marketing, right? So we're doing it all through social media. Mm-hmm. And my, my biggest frustration thus far has been Facebook. Um, you know, we started out gathering data, doing small uh, ad buys on Facebook, trying to figure out who are who best to market to with these small buys and gathering all of that data and figuring that out. Uh, and that went fine. And then when we went to do the 
the big buy or, or actually get, you know, have that figured out and know who we're trying to target. Facebook just wouldn't process my payment. And I, to this day, I, we still don't have that figured out and it's really kind of thrown a, a wrench in, in things. So yeah, that's definitely been a challenge. Uh, the, uh, the sales, it's only been four weeks in. Uh, surprise you on the upside, surprise you on the not upside, which one? Oh, what you expected. I, I think, I think I had higher expectations. Um, and, but I think we're right where we should be now, now that I can step back a little bit and breathe. Um, I think, I think we're good because like you said, this isn't the kind of thing where you try it one week and then, and then step away. Right. It's, I mean, this is, this is a process that's probably going to take us two to three years to get to where I think we should be. I'd agree with that. Now here's the next thing. Uh, Oranges aren't coming on the tree every day of the year. So what happens in June? Well, we'll, we'll actually probably be done and sold out. I would guess probably by the 1st of April. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are still fresh trees coming, fresh fruit coming off the trees. Yeah. The tree is the best place to hold it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So for about about a couple of months, right? Yeah. Depending, um, you know, we use growth regulators on some of this stuff and you can kind of play with that a little bit. You know, I, I really probably wouldn't want to let it hang on that tree longer than the end of May. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Although sometimes it, it, it has in the past just because of market conditions and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. So basically at that point, we're going to continue, um, growing our social media presence. Um, you know, I'm going to do a lot of videos on the farm about what we're doing at specific times. And, um, you know, there's a lot of interest out there from people that want to see that kind of stuff. And so, and I've always just kind of been like, man, I don't really want to do all of that. Now, looking back, I wish I would have started five years ago mm-hmm. and, and gained a bigger following. Now we're trying to kind of catch up because the reason I didn't is they said, well, you know, I use my job depends on that. That's what, you know, that's where I'm at. And if there's anything going on at the ranch, I'll just put it on there. I don't need to have a following at the farm. Um, so I think if I, if I had one regret in this process, it, it is that. Um, that I know now it's going to take me longer to build up to that than if I had started a few years ago. So you only been at four weeks. Do you have repeat people? Cause then, uh, you know, it's the old thing of when you get repeat business, that means you're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually had a lot of repeat business. Um, and the other thing, like, uh, like you mentioned about customer service, I've actually had a couple of people that, uh, I wouldn't say they were necessarily complaints, but just, um, you know, I got a couple of emails that said, you know, Hey, this is, this was an issue. And, um, so far there's only been two of those. Yeah. And maybe they might even be trying to instruct you a little bit like, Hey, this is a new venture for you. I'd like you to know that this happened or this didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's some of that, but so, I mean, just the way I look at it, um, I just, within like the last one, within an hour and a half, I had another package on its way to them. 
Yeah. 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 You're, you're making, you're, you're making, you gotta make good on it. You know, I'm a customer service guy because for 28 years I've worked for clients and uh, you know, there's times when there's clients that are just absolutely going out of their way to, to cause you a problem. I mean, let's face it, 28 years of me being my own business person, I've had some things that have gone sideways, <laughs> but the other thing is you, you work really hard at saying, Hey, listen, man, it's not, I'm not here to try and uh, you know, get sideways with you. Uh, let's make this right. Um, advice. You already gave one piece of advice. You said you wished that you had gotten a bigger following so that when Bream Family Farms became a direct-to-consumer brand, um, you had more following. What's the other advice to somebody that's out here that's a operator saying, I, I'm inspired by this because I hear what Eric is saying. You got the regulatory thing. You got a crowded marketplace. Uh, commodity production favors high volumes and low production prices, costs, because as we've know, everything agriculture from, you know, from, from, from milk to soybeans to citrus, it tends to be, we're producing for very low margins. It's a very low margin return business. Your advice for somebody that says, I want to get out of this whole commodity cycle and do something different like he is. What's the advice besides the following? Well, um, I, I, I think probably the best piece of advice I can give anybody is to, um, lower your expectations and increase your workload <laughs> because those, those two things, you know, and I know when I first crunched the numbers on all of this, I thought, Oh, wow, this is going to be the greatest thing ever, you know? And then <laughs> the realities that you didn't know about beforehand uh, start to start to, you know, come at you. Mm -hmm. And um, so that I think, you know, have a good plan, insert the right people in places where, where you, you, you aren't necessarily as strong in those places if you can. And, um, and other than that, maybe take sleeping pills. I don't know. Cause I, I tend to wake up at one in the morning these days and just stare at the ceiling and can't go back to sleep because my head starts going, but yeah, I, I mean, that's, the, you know, that's the way it is when you run your own business. Uh, I have those nights also, uh, you know, thinking about things I should be doing, things that I've not done enough of, you know, whatever that thing is. But you also did something else. You took 5% of production and decided to apportion it this direction. You didn't go full tilt and take 95% of your production and change up the business model overnight. You did it with 5% with the idea. I assume that you're thinking will grow to 10 to 20 to 30 or something like this. Maybe. Um, I'm not really sure. It, it, you know, that, that part of it for me is a little fuzzy. If, uh, if we may just continue on this path rather than trying to scale it. Um, I've got a few other ideas, um, but it's, it's really kind of a long-term thing. You know, what, what you'll never see me do is try and sell you a t-shirt or a bag of popcorn or, or something like that. You know, and that's kind of, I, I think the simplicity of what we're doing where it's one product from one specific place at one price and this is what you get and it's limited availability, you know, maybe four months out of the year and that, and that's that, um, you know, I, I've looked at a lot of other people that are doing this kind of stuff, you know, and they're trying to sell beanies and ball caps and stuff. I, I will never go down that path. <laughs> I will say that on the record right here. All right. Well, you know what, you, what about the person that doesn't like oranges, but they really like beanies and ball caps. I mean, I don't know, Eric, you, you're leaving customers out there. Uh, you, you know, you're leaving money on the table. They might tell you. Well, um, I just tell them to get a Damian Mason beanie. I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't have those either. So you're making me think that I should fill this void that you're not there. I need to put out extreme ag uh, beanies, maybe, which is interesting. People in the West call them beanies. Uh, They were called stocking caps in northern Indiana when I was a kid. And uh, his name is Eric Breen. And he's doing something pretty cool that is certainly he's not the first person to do it, but it is a growing niche. And I wanted to get it on here because I see direct to consumer marketing happening. And I think it's a, it's something that a a niche player can do. You know, I've been telling my ag audiences that for a long time that we now live in a time because of the foodie movement, because of the affluence, because of the, the internet uh, and because of shipping. And also we have a consumer that, before the pandemic was already starting to buy crap online. And then once they got told by the government, just stay home and stay scared and stay online, you know, these Amazon trucks, I mean, my God, you you almost have traffic jams of just Amazon trucks. So we have a consumer that now is very comfortable ordering everything, you know, from beanies and ball caps to steak online. So I think that there's a real opportunity and you talked about selling the story. Um, you know, I've read your thing. It's uh, let me tell you about Bream Family Farms, third generation, been in California. So you're 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 selling a bit of story and buy-in, uh, so that the idea is that the consumer feels good about buying your stuff. I think that's what I sensed. I I don't. It's yeah, it is that, um, but it's also um, the one thing that the internet doesn't allow you to do very easily is established trust with someone. And, and I think more than that, it's really just, you know, that education to someone to try and establish that trust. And then, you know, it's up to me to be able to keep it. Do any of those people then uh, say, I want to be, I want to come and see Bream family farms because, you know, there's the other side of it. Either they're really bought into it or they're calling bullshit. Ah, you know what? This is just some corporate entity out of Brazil, anyhow, pretending to be that. You got anybody that wants to come and see to do to check behind the curtain? No, not yet. Um, and that would actually be okay with me. We're actually uh, we're probably going to start doing some different things here at the ranch. Uh, we're talking about doing uh, a bloom dinner uh, when the trees are in bloom. Uh, the smell is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, uh, it would be a, a really cool thing to do, to have a couple hundred people out here t- that wouldn't normally be able to experience that and, uh, and do something along those lines. So we're, you know, we're looking at some other options too. And, uh, you know, but we're real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you are. You are real. Um, and if somebody wants to check out what you're doing or more importantly, become a customer, tell them where to go. Uh, breamfamilyfarms.com or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram on, as Bream Family Farms. And Bream is spelled B-R-E-A-M Bream, like beam that you walk on with an R after the B. Bream Family Farms. Uh, last last tidbit that you want to share with, uh, you know, as a frequent guest here on the Business of Ag podcast. You got anything? Oh, I don't know. You still, you still optimistic. Are you still optimistic? You know, uh, you said I could just sell this for development or to some other larger citrus producer that's gathering up acres, or I could, I could kick out of here. You know, uh, you're, you're obviously not doing that. You're a little younger than me and you're going to stick with it. Right. Yeah. And and part of that is because, uh, because I live here and I see what happens to rural communities as consolidation 
happens. You know, we see it a lot here in California. There's a lot of investment groups, uh, multinational uh, players that will gobble up any of the land that they can get their hands on. Um, and from my perspective, I think the more, especially in a place like this, Tulare County, where we, where most of our farm is, you know, we did uh, seven and a half billion dollars in ag revenue last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, our economy here is very dependent on agriculture. And uh, to me, it's, it's important to try and keep family farms viable and uh, solvent <laughs> uh, moving forward for, for the purposes of, of making the community better. I agree with everything you just said. And uh, also I'm, I'm a, I'm a promoter of what happens in places like Tulare County. When I say that there are, I think three counties in California that each of those counties has more agricultural revenue just in the County uh, than 25 States in the United States of America. So uh, what you're doing, there's a good thing. All right. His name is Eric Bream. He's Bream family farms talking about diversification, talking about direct to consumer, talking about what do you do when you, when you are faced with this, uh, you know, he's too young to retire. He wants to stay with the business, but he knows he got uh, to look at other things. Uh, Is this your last venture? Oh, no. I think, honestly, I think we're, I'm just getting started. I think you are too. So you got the, the, the bloom dinner, uh, and you got this, uh, and then whatever the next thing is, uh, another year or so, come back and tell us about the next venture. Yeah. So one of the things that's actually on the list, and this is a longer term project is, uh, um, there is a, a piece of fruit out there that's called a bream Taroko blood orange. And that, that particular piece of fruit was, uh, kind of discovered and uh, put into the University of California system by my grandfather in 1994. And it's become uh, a viable um, variety. And we, I've got like seven trees of it planted. We don't, we didn't plant any of it commercially, but I'm looking at within the next couple of years uh, doing a a planting of that and kind of maybe expanding into that space to see if, uh, if there's some additional value that we can, that we can kind of get out of that. So essentially you'd have a proprietary variety. It's not necessarily proprietary because it all goes through the university of California, but it, but it, but the name is attached to that particular variety because it came, uh, the budwood, uh, came from one of our ranches. Awesome. All right. Stay, keep us posted. Dear listener and viewer, if you want to learn more about what he's doing there, go to Bream Family Farms. He just gave you the website. Check it out. Uh, please share this podcast with uh, friends of yours that are ag and non-ag people alike. And certainly if you know somebody that is looking for gifts, uh, you know what? What better than to do uh, one of his packages? He's Eric Bream. I'm Damian Mason. Until next time, thanks for being here, buddy. You bet. Until next time, it's the business of agriculture. This episode of The Business of Agriculture was brought to you by Nori. If you're feeling left out of carbon markets, Nori is a carbon removal marketplace that welcomes early adopters of regenerative farming. We work directly with farmers to enter their data and project their carbon credits, which the farmer owns and sets the price on. Nori is the marketplace, not the middleman, so farmers get paid directly once their credits are sold. We believe that carbon credits should be an asset the farmer controls, not the rights that they sell. To learn more on how you can enroll your farm, visit nori.com growers. And if you are a company looking to get involved with carbon markets, reach out to hello at nori.com. Nori, a carbon marketplace for early adopters. Visit nori.com slash growers.